I don't know if you have noticed, but we tend to see things from our own perspective. The, the way that we look at the world and the way that we evaluate things tends to be from our own perspective. And so uh, when I am looking at the way other people do things, I can't help but compare how are they doing that compared to how I would do that. And then, because I'm comparing the differences between the way that they do things and the way that I do things, I uh, almost automatically begin to make judgment calls on whether or not my way is better or their way is better. And very often, I find that my way is better. <laughs> I, I know that I have my faults, but I understand why I have those faults. I understand my, my reasoning and I understand my tendencies and I understand those issues and so I tend to overlook those faults and, and just sort of go, but this is what I'm actually trying to do and what I'm actually trying to do is a lot better with, than what they are actually doing. And so I find myself comparing the way that I do things and the way that other people do things. And this is true not just for individuals but for cultures. One culture having a bias, they they call it a cultural bias, their bias about the way that they do things as a culture that we all generally agree, yep, this is the way that you should do things. This is the way that you should live life. It's interesting that my my kids just uh, started playing the game of life yesterday and looking at it, and I went, wow, that is very culturally specific. This is how life works. That's very particular to our culture. That would not work in a different culture. They would look at this and go, you did what? These are my options? This makes no sense at all. But for those of us that are in this culture, we look at that and go, oh yeah, of course that is. This is the way that we do things. And we look at other cultures and we say, why would you do it that way? It doesn't make any sense. And as Paul is writing in the book of Romans, he's writing to a church of a cla- of clashing cultures. There's these two cultures. There are the Jews and the Gentiles. The Israelites and the non-Israelites. And these two cultures are looking at each other and going, you're doing it all wrong. That's not how you follow God. And they're looking at each other and they're pointing fingers and they're going, this is obviously the right way to do it. And the other culture is looking at them and going, no, you're ridiculous. That is the wrong way to do it. And they're just going back and forth about this. And so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, look, I want you to understand what God's plan has been from the beginning. I want you to have a perspective that understands what God's plan has been from the beginning and how He has fulfilled that plan in the coming of Jesus so that your perspective cannot be so blinded by your culture. And some of you who have been here for a few weeks might be thinking, Travis, this sounds an awful lot like the same kinds of things we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Why are we still talking about this? And I found myself asking that question as I was looking at this and I was talking with Pastor Scott on Thursday and we sat down and we said, uh, what's your main idea for this sermon? And I said, it's the same as last week and the week before and the week before that. And he said, yeah, me too. But Paul seems to be drilling in on this 
pounding this because we are so slow to get it. And so he's, he's hitting it again and again from this angle and from that angle and from this angle going, look, you guys come to Christ and are considered God's people in the same way. In the same way. And so this is, these are the verses. Romans chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 25. I'm going to read through this and then we'll go back and look at it piece by piece. 11.25 says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. He he begins by saying, I don't want you to be wise in your own sight. Lest you be wise in your own sight, so that you won't be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. Now, some of you really like mysteries. You like things that seem vague and difficult to understand. And what Paul is saying here is there has been this mystery, this thing that is sort of vague and difficult to understand, but now is made clear and I don't want you to still have confusion about it. I still don't want you to consider it to be a mystery. I want you to know what is now being clearly revealed. Lest you be wise in your own sight. So that you won't be wise in your own sight. What happens when we're wise in our own sight? We lack humility is the gentle way of putting it. We lack humility when we are wise in our own sight. When we think that we are so smart, then we become proud and arrogant and impossible to deal with. Because I know what's up. I've got this. I understand this. And he says, so that you don't be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery. There is a need for humility here. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, let's back up a little bit. Because we've been taking this section of Romans 9, 10, and 11, and Paul has been talking about his love for the Israelites. How much he loves them, how much they are his people, culturally, ethnically. They they are his people, and he loves them, and he's longing for their salvation. But he sees that that they are um, not following God as a people. 
And so when you're looking through uh, Romans beginning in, in chapter 9, you're, you see him saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Because they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul, Paul's going, I, I just, I so love the Israelites. I love the Jews. And they have had all of these blessings through history as God has been revealing His plan for redemption, His plan for calling people to Himself. He has been showing them who He is and revealing Himself to them. And they were wayward. And He brought them back. And then they were wayward and He brought them back. And they were wayward and He brought them back. And then He sent the prophets to them to tell them, Guys! What are you doing? Why do you keep turning away from God? Repent and follow Him. And He sent prophet after prophet and they refused to believe and they refused to repent and they refused to, be, to come back until finally God said, you have to get out. You have to get out. You are no longer behaving as My people in the land, the home that I had promised you and have provided for you. You, you gotta go. And he has other nations come in and conquer them. Wicked, awful nations. Come in and conquer them. And drag them out. And Paul's looking at this now and is going, they have had all of the history with God. They have had all of the instruction. They've had all of the prophets speaking to them and yet they're turning away. But it is not as though the promises of God are failing. Because even at those times when it seems like all of them have turned away, there have always been a remnant. God has always held some for Himself that have been faithful to Him. He has always chosen among them some that would be His. He has always been faithful to His people. But in doing this, it is not just for the Jews as God's people. Not just for the Israelites as God's people. But the nations are brought in. And if you were here last week, you, you remember me saying that this has always been God's plan. From the time of Abraham, they, Abraham was to be blessed so that he could be a blessing. That through his offspring, all nations would be blessed. And had they followed him faithfully, all nations would have flowed in and been blessed to come to God and see how awesome this was. But the reality was it wasn't that way. And so in their rejection... It serves as an illustration and an example to the nations of the way that God interacts with His people. And as He sends Jesus, the Savior, the Gentiles are brought in to this promise. 
in a really amazing way. The rejection of Israel allows for the Gentiles to come in. It's not a complete rejection of Israel, although sometimes it seems like that and sounds like that. It's not a complete rejection of them. He's always held some for himself. But in their rejection, now the Gentiles are being brought in, and now the Gentiles are becoming arrogant. And so as Paul is writing to this church with these Gentiles there, these Gentiles have come in and gone, yeah, the Israelites, they were all rebellious and turned away from God, but we, we understand the Gospel. We understand that Jesus is the Savior who comes to forgive us of our sins, and we don't need the law. We don't need to do all of that moralism stuff that those Jews ridiculously follow because we understand that God has brought us in by grace. And so, Israelites, now we are God's people brought in by grace. And Paul's going, how ridiculous are you? Would you seriously, having not been God's people, Come in by grace and then act arrogantly toward those who have the history and the patriarchs and the prophets and the law? You're being ridiculous too! And so in Romans chapter 10, Paul then uh, speaks and says, this is how it is. That all are saved. We, we read this at the beginning, uh, toward the beginning of the service. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. There is No distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so then he begins to talk some more about this tension that they have about the Israelites rejecting God, but but God reaching His arms out to them and and inviting them in. And we talked then about how the Gentiles are are sort of grafted in. It looked like a a tree with all these branches, and, and the branches, some of them have been broken off because they didn't believe. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior who would come. And so those branches were broken off, and other branches that had nothing to do with that tree are grafted in. And all find life from this tree. But he asked the question in in 11 verse 11, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Did the Israelites stumble in order that they might fall flat on their face and be totally rejected? No. By no means. Let me be really clear about this. Yes, Israel stumbled, but they did not fall completely. That was not the point. 
Yes, their stumbling allowed the Gentiles to come in. God used that in a miraculous way to bring in Gentiles also, but not so that they would land flat on their face and be utterly rejected. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, then how much more will their full inclusion mean? And he begins to, to describe that some more. And now, now we get to verse 25. And so, don't be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Being ignorant of the, this mystery. We're, we're revealing it to you that, that yes, the Israelites had, had stumbled but have not fallen and God brings them in. They, they were disobedient, but God brings them in. You were disobedient. They were disobedient. Everybody was disobedient. Everybody gets brought in the same way. And yet we find ourselves very often putting ourselves with these cultural blinders on that we don't recognize the faults of our culture and we look at other cultures and we go, what is with you? Why would you live life like that? Why would you prioritize those things? Why would you act in that way? It's crazy to me how quickly and how easily that happens. That we're talking about people who are believing the Bible and yet are doing that. I, I was thinking about this this week because... We see this even in Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a huge impact on the church. He was trying to bring about a reformation because those who were calling themselves Christians didn't understand the Bible and weren't reading God's Word to them. They didn't believe that they had access to God or that Jesus was the one who was the go-between. And so Martin Luther is trying to turn people back to the Bible and go, look, this is what the Bible says. And I think that he has done a great service to the church, in causing us to focus on the Scriptures and what the Scriptures say. And yet, in his reading of the Scriptures, I don't think he understood this in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because there are things that he wrote that are so hateful Toward the Jews. And you look at that and go, how does that happen? How does that happen?
we just get into our own ideas of the way that things are supposed to be. And we under, begin to understand certain pieces and then we just get off track. And we start to think it has something to do with us again. That there's something special about us again. That there was something special about who we are or where we were born or who we were born to. Or the mores that we hang on to. The things that define us as a culture as though somehow that's important. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. He's quoting from Isaiah 59. He's quoting from Isaiah 59. If you've been paying attention as we've been going through Romans, you realize that Paul quotes a lot. He quotes a lot from the Old Testament. He's trying to demonstrate that everything that we believe about who Jesus is and the fulfillment of God's promises is rooted on everything that was written in the Old Testament. This is not two different things. God was not doing something in the Old Testament and then go, well, that didn't work. Let me try again. Here's a Jesus solution. This is not a brand new thing. This is not something new and different. This is the whole point all along. This was the way that He was going to do it. He was telling them since the beginning... As soon as they sinned, I'm going to send an offspring of the woman and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. That's the very first promise of Jesus. Don't think that God was doing something different at one point in history and then changed course and did something different. Or that he treats one group of people differently than he treats a different group of people. He treats them all the same. The plan is the same for everybody. Everybody comes to God through the same means that is Jesus. There is no plan B. Jesus was always plan A. Not just a plan, a promise. And God always fulfills His promises. We talked about that in chapter 9 with the the election of His people. God would never put His promises, make them contingent upon the behaviors and actions and attitudes of people. He makes His promises and He fulfills His promises. He will never fail to fulfill His promises. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be My covenant with them when I take away their sins. And if you start reading through Isaiah, that, those chapters in Isaiah, you just see Jesus all over the place. 
Yep, you're in sin. Yep, you're turning away from me. Yep, you're doing all of these things, but there's going to be this Savior. There's going to be this Deliverer. There's going to be this One, this Holy One of Israel, and He will come and save His God's people from their sins. That will be the way in which God's people are saved. Paul is connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament and rooting everything in the Old Testament. In this way, in this way, all Israel will be saved. This is the way. It's going to be through this deliverer. That's how they're going to be saved. There are some people who, who take this and twist this around. And they, they mix up the words and, and, and start to talk about it as though there is some different way that Israel will be saved. That there is some different way that God will handle Israelites. He's handling everybody else one way through Jesus, but he's going to have this special thing for Israel somehow. No. All in this way, all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's the way. Sometimes people are, are looking at this and they're, they're trying to make this some kind of order in which things will happen. First, there's this hardening of Israel. Then there's this bringing in of the Gentiles. Then there's the salvation of all Israel. That's, that's not what he's handling everybody the same way. He's handling everybody the same way. That's been the point for chapters of Romans. I don't think that Paul is changing his mind now. He's not changing the way he's talking about it now. We have to understand this in the context. If you just grab verses out and go, in this way all Israel will be saved, then, then you might understand that one way. But in the context of the flow of the argument about how Israel will be saved, they will be saved the same way as the Gentiles. First they're, they're there, then they're broken off. The Gentiles were broken off. They're planted in. Now the Israelites are planted in. Everybody's saved the same way. That's how we understand this. And in this way, all Israel, everyone who will be saved, will be saved in this way. Whether Israelites or Gentiles, it, all Israel will be saved this way. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish all ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the Gospel... They are enemies for your sake. Now, he's still speaking to the Gentiles. Even as he's talking about the Israelites and how the Israelites will be saved, he's speaking to the Gentiles because the Gentiles are being arrogant toward the Israelites. He's going, I want you to understand how the Israelites are saved so that you won't continue to be arrogant and wise in your own eyes against them. Yes, yeah, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. That there are ways in which those who are Israelites, who are unrepentant, are against the gospel. They are enemies of God. They are enemies uh, because they do not believe in Jesus being the, the Savior, the Messiah. So as, re as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Don't, okay. Yes, I understand that it seems as though they're hating on you because you follow Jesus. I was one of those. Right? Paul was the hatingest person that there was 
toward Christians. He was so zealous for God, yet not according to knowledge. He didn't understand who the Messiah was. And so he persecuted Christians. He goes, yeah, according to the Gospel, they, like I used to be, are your enemies, but this is where it came from. As regards election, as regards God's choice of you to be His people, their forefathers are the ones that set all of this up. It's through them and their heritage and their lineage that you are being brought in. Don't be hating on them just because they are misguided right now. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were once at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. What's happening? You were disobedient. They were disobedient. And now, everyone having been disobedient, everyone receives mercy in the same way. They're brought in in the same way. We can't be arrogant. I, I was talking with somebody one time and <clears throat> was talking with them because um, particularly in our culture, I've noticed we tend to be a little arrogant. Maybe other cultures are also that way. I can't speak to that. I don't have eyes into that quite the same way as I do here. But around here, we can be so arrogant. I was talking with somebody about uh, living in the United States and they were saying, oh, I'm so glad that I live in the United States. Well, why is that? Well, because we, uh, our country was founded on biblical principles. Okay. Well, we're the only country that's ever been founded on biblical principles. Well, no. I mean, there are probably multiple countries that have been founded on biblical principles, the most obvious being the Israelites. Right? When they said, this is what will make you a people. Ten Commandments and others. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's pretty biblical. But, but somehow, we believe that we in the United States have replaced Israel as God's people. And some of you are on time out. I would never say that. No, but... We act like that. As though somehow we have this privileged status among the nations because we are the United States, blessed by God. We are so culturally blind and arrogant and wise in our own eyes and looking at other cultures and going... They shouldn't do it that way. 
Have you seen all the stuff in our culture that we shouldn't do it that way? I grew up around... Um, uh, my, I have cousins who are Korean, and so I went to, to Korean church with them. And that is a cultural experience. And there were things about being in that culture that were really strange to me. I didn't understand all the time the way the honoring of parents works. Like, how come you have to do that? That doesn't make any sense. No, but I have to because it honors my parents. What? As an American, I feel like, yeah, we should honor our parents, but there's a limit. And yet, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. So which of us is right? Well, both of us a little. It's different. But what Paul is doing is he's writing and he's saying, look, you're disobedient, you're disobedient, they're disobedient. The only way anyone comes to, to God is through the mercy of Him. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Which means He treats us all the same. Whether you think you have privileged status or you don't think you have privileged status, whether your parents were believers or not believers, doesn't matter. We were all broken off and we're all grafted in in the same way. I've had the privilege recently of talking with a, a church planter and um, he has planted five churches, all of them Hispanic congregations. His most recent one was in Hillsborough, and he was talking with me, and he said, yep, I'm, I'm ready to do the next thing. The, this, this one is fully planted, and I, I get things started, but then I hand off the leadership, and I'm on to the next thing. And I was like, oh, really? I would love to see something, some Hispanic ministry happen in the Wilsonville area. I, I don't think there's enough of that. I, I would love to see that happen. And he went, oh, well, I was thinking Woodburn. I said, well, close enough. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Would love to uh, help in any way that I can. And so I introduced him to some of my Woodburn Spanish-speaking people and went, I think that's probably all I've got. And he came back to me and he said, um, so I've been talking with people in Woodburn and I've talked to some of your contacts that you introduced me to and uh, they, seem, they think that there are a lot of uh, churches in Woodburn, but there's, there's not really in Wilsonville. And Wilsonville has this great location that it reaches like Sherwood and Tualatin and Woodburn and Canby and all, all these things. Um, plus you have that building. Could, could I work with you? I've been praying for two years that somehow... We could have a Hispanic ministry. I know I'm not the right guy for that. I've been saying, God, I can't do this. There are lots of things I can do. I can't lead a Hispanic ministry. But it would be great if you could do something. 
You know how that verse talks about God doing something above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine? A church, a Hispanic church planter who's planted five churches coming to me saying, can I start a Hispanic ministry in your building? I've got funding for the next two years. That's beyond what I could ask or imagine. Now, why do I bring that up this morning? Because this is happening right now. I don't know what it will look like, but I am confident that there will be cultural clashes. And I do not want us to be arrogant or wise in our own eyes. As we see differences and compare, I want us to be in a position where we see differences and it challenges us. It challenges us to reevaluate what is the gospel in this. Because one of the greatest antidotes that I have, have seen, there are two. I'll give you the greatest one and then the second one. The greatest one is familiarity with the gospel. Understanding that God brings in, by His mercy, all people in the same way. It levels the playing field. The second one is being by people who are different than us. It's really hard to be arrogant towards somebody you actually know of a different culture. Because in conversations you begin to understand what things are like, why they do what they do. And how they are following Christ in the same way. I want you to think now, because, because he has said this, right? At one time you were disobedient to God, but now have received mercy. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. This is, this is just the implications that come from Romans 10 where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I would like to take just a couple of minutes to think about that. The reality of God's mercy toward us. And who is it that culturally... You look at them with arrogance. Maybe it's a people group. Maybe an ethnicity. Maybe a nation. Maybe millennials. (laughs) A generation. Don't. Don't. Think to yourself that there is no one. Rather ask that God would reveal to you who it is that you're being arrogant toward. 
and repent of that. Let's take a couple minutes. Father, I ask now, would you expose our hearts and minds to us? Would you reveal to us those toward whom we are being arrogant? Father, I pray for each person here. I pray that they would believe the gospel, that they are brought into your community of people by your mercy and grace alone. And Father, I pray that you would open their eyes to see those toward whom they are being arrogant even now.